Good morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it was just over 45 years ago that Alan Shepard and two other American astronauts embarked on the journey of a lifetime. See, the date was January 31st, 1971. Less than a year had passed since the failed Apollo 13 moon landings, and these three astronauts set out to do what those on the mission before them could not, successfully land on the moon. And while their mission was a phenomenal success, they encountered a number of difficulties along the way. A rain delayed their launch, they struggled to dock in orbit with their lunar lander, and a computer glitch even almost ended the landing on the moon altogether. Yet despite these problems, the crew did it. And on February 5th, they made the first of two moonwalks. When Shepard's foot touched the ground, the surface of the moon, he said, it's been a long way, but we're finally here. And they went on to set up an American flag, take a number of scientific samples, and he even found some time to hit a couple golf balls on the surface of the moon. What strikes me most about Shepard's mission has nothing to do with the moon itself and everything to do with the kind of experience that he has. You see, shortly after he returned home, he describes that experience this way. If somebody had said before the flight, are you going to get carried away looking at the earth from the surface of the moon? I would have said, no way. When I first looked back on the earth, standing on the moon, I cried. And you can just imagine the power of a moment like this. A moment where the rest of life just fades away and all that's left is right here and right now. I mean, that's the kind of, shepherd, that's the kind of experience that Shepherd has. The kind of experience that you want to hold close and never let go. You know, the sight he sees is largely unknown to all of us. I'd imagine that we've all had moments in our lives like this. You know, maybe it's finally coming home or, or winning the big game. Maybe it's the day you got married or, or welcomed your child home from the hospital. You know, whatever it is, these are the kind of moments I'm talking about, the kind of moments that you want to hold close and never end. And that's the kind of moment that we encounter in our reading today. You see, it starts on a day just like any other. Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain with him. And if you're one of them, what follows is unlike anything you've ever seen before. I mean, you arrive at the top of this mountain and you find a quiet place to pray. You're out of earshot and eyesight when all of a sudden Jesus' face begins to change. Now it's hard to describe, but it's almost like it glows and his clothing is completely transformed. No longer the dull, dust-stained cloth that you've come to know over these past three years, but this dazzling color of brilliant white. And then these two men appear out of nowhere, and and you're not quite sure how you know, but you just do. It's Moses and Elijah. 
These two prophets of old standing right in front of you, standing on this mountain and talking with Jesus. They're talking about his departure. And it's confusing. You're a little tired, but you just marvel in it. And so as their conversation comes to a close, that's why you approach Jesus. That's why you say to him, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's set up three dwellings. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But as you're speaking, you quickly discover that God has other plans in mind. This cloud descends on the mountain. You drop to your knees, and a voice from heaven cries out, This is my Son, the Chosen One. Listen to Him. Now, You're face down on the ground, James and John at your side, and you're terrified. You're terrified because you've seen the glory of God, and you know what happens when people do. It's too much to take in, almost too much to bear. Yet before you know it, that cloud rises, and all you see is Jesus. You know, when I think about moments that I'd want to hold on to, And never forget, this has got to be on the top of my list. I mean, for the disciples, it's got to be this moment of of power and clarity. I mean, they get a full taste of Jesus' glory. You've got to imagine, there, there isn't a doubt in any of their minds. I mean, they know who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the one the Scriptures have talked about. The one who comes to proclaim good news to the poor and set the captives free. And that's why what happens next must be so disappointing for them. The scene comes to an end. I mean, they've seen the glory of God. They've marveled in Jesus' heavenly splendor, and now they're ready. They're ready for Jesus to complete the work that he set out to do. They're ready for him to come and take them away from the sin and the pain, the hurt and the loss, and make all things new. And you know what? If we're completely honest, I'd imagine that that's the kind of Jesus that many of us look and long for too. Well, this past week, I came across the story of Gwen and Scott Hartley. They live in Wichita, Kansas, and when you hear their story, you'll understand why, why they feel this way, too. You see, back in 2001, they welcomed home their second child, a, a little baby girl. She was delivered without complications at full term, but shortly after her birth, the doctors noticed something about her. She was born with an unusually small head, so they whisked her away to an examination room. Now, first, they thought that it was Down syndrome, but later discovered that it was a disease called microcephaly, a rare condition that leads children to be born with unusually small heads and brains. And Gwen explains it was a rough diagnosis because babies with microcephaly rarely live longer than a year. And that diagnosis was made even more difficult when they discovered that their third child had it too. Now, remarkably... Gwen and Scott's two daughters survived their first year, and today they're these young, beautiful teenage girls, and that's why their parents describe themselves as incredibly blessed. Yet it's also no wonder that they look and long for Jesus. 
that they're ready for a full taste of His glory too. You know, I imagine that many of us can think of things in our life that make us feel like this. I mean, maybe you're passionate about your job, but holding or finding one is difficult. Or maybe you're not passionate and you're wondering if now's the time to do something about that and see a look and long for a full taste of Jesus' glory. Or, you know, maybe your health has been touch and go for the past few years. You just want to get better, just want one more normal day and see a look and long for a full taste of Jesus' glory. Or growing up, it was difficult. All you ever wanted to do was, was leave home, and now you have, but your parents keep pulling you back. Your siblings, your family, they keep taking you to the place that you never want to go. And so you look and long for a full taste of Jesus' glory. I mean, in many ways, we look and long for Him. We yearn to see His glory too. But we know that so often, it's just beyond our reach. Maybe it feels that way to you. I mean, we know that a fulfilling job takes time and the right set of circumstances. We know that the illness doesn't go away just because we want it to. And that healthy boundaries, they're not always respected by those we care and love. And so no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we look and long, sometimes it just feels out of reach. And that's why today's story comes to an end. Because that's when Jesus brings His glory to people like me and you. You see, the story of Jesus' transfiguration isn't just a story about something that happens up on a mountain. It's not just the story about Jesus in all His heavenly splendor. It's a story about what Jesus does with that glory. He uses it for people like me and you. And it all starts when he comes down the mountain in the very next scene. Jesus encounters this man who's begging and pleading, please come, help my son. He's possessed by a demon. And what does Jesus do? He uses his glory to enter this man's life and help him. And that's the story that we see again and again as Jesus journeys from that mountain of transfiguration all the way to the cross. And it's there that he embraces all that's hard and difficult in our world. And he does it for people like me and you. He does it that one day, just like Peter, James, and John, we might get a full taste of his glory. And until that day comes, he gives us little tastes all around us. You know, I see it each and every day. I see it in all of you. I see it when you gather in this place and listen to his word. I see it when you you care for one another, the young and the old, the people in this community and far beyond. And I see it when we meet around this table when Jesus feeds us with his very body and blood, when he reveals himself in little ways to each and every one of us, it happens in these ways and many more. And Jesus does it to assure us that just like Peter, James, and John, one day we will taste his glory in all its fullness too. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.
Amen.